the startup, grow up, and scale up journey. This is the Pain of Scale, the Notion Capital Podcast. Paul, I'm with Stephen as usual for our Pain of Scale series. And today, today, fundraising, a topic that we always almost cap off the series with. I think we had Christina Fonseca in episode 309 because I rename all the episodes for people to be able to find them easily. So P309 and Joss, Joss White was on 209 actually. And Bethany Ayers, a long time ago on 108. Yeah. Yes, the holy grail of a startup journey <laughs> fundraising. <laughs> and we will learn with one of your colleagues, Stephen, and someone I've actually known from way back when she wasn't yeah. at Notion yet. It's been at least nine to 10 years I've known her. So please introduce us to our guest today, Stephen. So let's set the scene. You know, we've talked about this a number of times. Many people will ascribe the view to every startup CEO that they're all boils down to three things. And one of those is setting the vision. Yeah. The second is building a world-class team. And the third is ensuring they've got adequate capital to fuel that plan. And so fundraising is critical. And I'm delighted to welcome today Ichasso Del Palacio, who's a partner at Notion Capital, so a colleague of mine, to join me in discussing this topic. She's got a great background, a great pedigree, and just a wonderful person to work with. She was formerly with M12, more than a decade working in the startup ecosystem, building and investing in software companies. She's also a, a teacher and teaching fellow in entrepreneurship at UCL. She runs the Entrepreneurial Finance course module. So look, she gets the big picture, but she gets the detail too. And whether we'll get into that today, I, we will see. She's been working in this space for 10, 15 years. She holds a prestigious Kaufman Fellowship position, and she's probably the most connected person I know in the global network of investors and founders. An engineer by background and a PhD in entrepreneurship. So I'm already feeling really quite the underachiever. But Achasso, <laughs> welcome to Pain of Scale and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. I don't know if my network is very extensive, but uh, definitely Paul's. <laughs> I think it's just over mine. I think uh, Paul is also has a, an incredible network. Yeah. The one you. thing you didn't mention Stephen, I know this is not totally related, but she always also impresses me. You always impress me about your wellness and fitness journey. You are such an amazing. You completely outrun both Stephen and I. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going yeah. to deny that. I don't think that's a very high bar from my perspective. But <laughs> I'm with you. She is an athlete, right? Indeed. I think that's the best way to put it. In many guises, you would absolutely outrun me, and and hopefully you'll get to outcycle me next year as well. Ah. Fingers crossed. Yeah, um, hopefully. <laughs> so just before we get into fundraising, because I think this is important to your fundraising thesis, you describe yourself as a product-led investor. Can you tell us what you mean by that and why it's so important? Yeah. So as I said, thank you, Paul and Stephen, for inviting me to join you for the podcast. It's really great to be here with you too. But yeah, I usually define myself as a product-led investor. And what I mean with that is that I look to invest in founders that are building product-led businesses. And you would say, well, what is that, right? So I think there are some organizations that make their products the way to acquire customers, build loyalty with with their customers and driving growth. And those are product-led businesses. Those companies have a product that users can test, self-service, for example, and they can use their own products to land and expand 
within the customers, right? So we think a little bit on the traditional SaaS, let's say, probably we connect that enterprise sales with a much more marketing and sales-driven go-to-market. So in the product-led businesses, marketing and sales teams are not as important as the product teams, which are building teams that are sold by themselves, let's say. And that's basically the difference. And those are the companies that I'm looking for. And those are the founders that I want to back. That's a really interesting bit of insight for a founder coming to you to raise money, right? So clearly you meet a lot and you've invested in three companies already at Notion, maybe more by the time this episode is released. So what's the significance of that product-led approach for the companies that you see? Definitely, it is important because I get really amazed and hooked by founders and companies that are obsessed for building the best products, the products that their users love, right? So those are usually beautiful products, easy to use, easy to test, easy to get onboarded, right? And what in the past was probably a requirement for B2C companies, right? We had an app and it was absolutely a requirement to have a beautiful app in which I could sign up seamlessly. I could use the app right away. Today has also become a requirement into the B2B environment. So more and more users in the business environment are looking to have that user experience from any other business-oriented software, right? So those are products that are easy to test. The time to value should be very short too, which is very comparable to the consumer side, right? We get in, we sign up, and we start getting value out of it. And so basically, I look for those when I'm evaluating a business. Then what really lights you up? You know, when you first read an investment memorandum or you meet a founder, what really excites you? The excitement is usually pretty contagious, in fact. So I guess, (laughs) yeah, it's true, right? I know that. If you meet a founder who is excited, then obviously they can bring me in and get me excited about it. In general, I get excited about businesses and founders, specifically founders who are convinced that they can build a massive business. Because usually when you are convinced and you see the opportunity, you get excited when you talk about it. You have a high conviction that that is going to happen. And you want to make the person in front of you understand how are you going to make that happen, right? So as a product-led investor too, I look for founders who can very easily articulate metrics related, for example, with engagement, with that time to value that we were talking about, with the net retention rate, right? Which is how much your customers love you and how much they grow their accounts because they really, really love you, right? And other important SaaS metrics like CAC or payback and so on. But I would say if they are convinced that that product and that business can be massive, then it is pretty easy to put up that into numbers and into metrics, not necessarily financial metrics. It might be more 
KPIs, engagement metrics, as well as value metrics and SaaS metrics, ultimately. And I really like also founders who can, on the spot, provide a fantastic demo of their product. And they are really eager to show it because it is something that looks good and has a very easy-to-use workflow. And that is specifically what I'm looking for. And I love and I get engaged and they hook me up. And what about the biggest turnoffs? I don't have many, but I would say that for those who know me, they know that I am pretty impatient person. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I am pretty impatient. So when I come to a beach and a meeting and I can't get what I'm looking for and that excitement and we are not moving forward on the meeting, I get a little bit disconnected with this, let's say the, the flow of the information. And so I need to feel really that sense of urgency on the founders. So I need to feel that we are on the same page, that we are not here to build a business that has ups and downs and tries to accelerate, but goes back and no, we are here to build a rocket ship, right? And we are aligned on that because otherwise I get really frustrated. <laughs> you know, there's that old saying, patience is a virtue. But I think in our world and in terms of founders, it's the opposite. Impatience is a virtue. Mm -hmm. And that's what we love. You know, people are in a hurry to get things done. But yes, I can uh, attest to that sense of urgency <laughs> that you bring to proceedings. And that is contagious as well. So can you break down the investment pitch a little bit? So I'm a founder, I'm a product-led founder. I'm going to pitch you. I've got some great data points. Can you break down the investment pitch a little bit more for me in terms of what should be in there and how that might change depending on the stage I'm at? So the pitch is incredibly important. Founders need to understand that a year myself, I'm not talking about even Notion, myself can see over a thousand opportunities, right? Even closer to 2000 and maybe I do two investments. So if you want to be one of these two, you really need to have a very clear value proposition. You need to make that very clear and you need to engage me on that, right? And so I think their pitch and conversation should have three main elements, right? One is the what. What do I do? Who am I? Why am I doing this, right? What is my product? That's the what. Two is the progress. What are my metrics right now? What did I do for the last, I don't know, six months, one year, the achievements, the stage of the company, the metrics, the financials, the progress, right? And three, the need. What am I looking for, right? Based on this, what am I looking for? What are the next steps? What can I build with this? So it's the what, who I am, the progress, what's the stage of the company, and what do I need? And these three things need to be crystal clear. If I need to use 10, 15 slides, regardless how many slides I need, I need to make these three things clear. Therefore, entrepreneurs should know how much time do we have in the meeting? And therefore, how much time do I want to spend in each of those? And that is the way I think entrepreneurs should approach the meetings in such a way that they can focus on the areas that they really want to focus on. They should ask, how much time do we have? Do we have half an hour? Do I want to emphasize my metrics, my progress? Do I need to focus much more on what is my vision in the future and what do I need 
to get there. And you can go as deep as you want in each of those. Depending on the stage of the company, you will make much more emphasis, for example, in the early stages, on the first one, on the what, on the team, on the product that you will build. While when you go later in the stage, you probably focus much more on the KPIs, on the progress that you've achieved and what comes in the future. It varies, but those are the three elements that every other pitch should have. All wrapped up into a transfer of enthusiasm and excitement of to, course. Get you, to get you leaning forward. <laughs> so course. can you give us some examples, real kind of ones that really did light you up, world-class investment presentations? This doesn't necessarily have to be ones that you, you invested in, but I'd be interested to hear what you put right up there as the best pitches you've seen. In fact, absolutely, I can give you some examples and you will both recognize them. And I hope you agree with me. The first one is Vasco from Ambabol. Mm, what a fantastic yeah. presenter. Huh? Yeah. Uh, so Vasco is the founder of Ambabol, one of our portfolio companies. He's incredible presenting. And in fact, uh, if you want to watch him in action, you can go online in YouTube. They are a couple of his videos presenting at Pioneers and Web Summit and so on. And you will see that he's very clear, very well articulated. He's good at sharing the vision. He's very, very good explaining where the company is going and what does he want to build in the future, right? He takes you through examples so you can relate to them and you can better understand what is going on. And as I said, the demo, he even does a demo. I mean, if you go to the Pioneers presentation, he does a demo live in front of thousands of people, which I think is fantastic. It's really, really good. And then a different, completely different style, I would say. ULife is one of the companies I invested in last year. And usually the pitch is done by Sam and Sammy, who are co-founders. Sam Thompson and Sammy Rubin. Correct. They do a team presentation. And I think it works very, very well. Sami is the CEO. And so he's very good at setting up the vision of the company, the big picture, the strategy. And Sam, the CEO, gets much more deeper into the metrics and he's really on top of all of those. And, and obviously, if they can bring even Josh, who is the CTO, CPO, and do a demo of the product that gets even at a higher level, right? But uh, it's a different style on a team presentation, but well-coordinated. I think that when you do a team presentation, you need to be very clear on who is presenting what so that it doesn't look like everything is owned by one person. And then I have somebody who is assisting me on the side. I really don't like that part of it, but rather when there is a collaboration and a very well-structured or division of responsibilities within the presentation. That's a really good point. If you're going to do it as a combination, it needs to be a real team sport, doesn't it? It needs to come across really strongly. They are a great pair of co-founders. They are fantastic. Josh as well, of course. <laughs> Extraordinary to work with. Two, two really good examples. And so we won't dwell into bad examples, but what I'm interested in is... Maybe some companies that you saw, you turned down and they've turned out to be kind of some great successes and what you learned from that. They've been a couple, not too many, but a couple. Yes. I think the one that I really regret is probably Tessian, the company that was called Check Recipient. In yeah. fact, they rebranded right when I was taking a look, they were raising their Series A. I was at the time at M12, Microsoft's Venture Arm. 
So I was looking to do an investment in their Series A. And Luciana, who is today in the UK, she led the seed round. And I very much like the company, but it happened to be that Microsoft, where obviously I was investing from, was building a similar product at the time which probably wasn't as good as Tessian, as you can imagine, but hard to push it internally. And so it was a little bit of that situation in which I really like Tim, the founder. He's absolutely fantastic. Great founding team and great management overall, the C-level. The team was absolutely fantastic. But the product was somehow conflicted to Microsoft, which probably Microsoft could never build a product which is like this one, right? But anyway, Balderton ended up doing the round. I think it was Suranga. And the company went to raise over 50 million now from Balderton, Sequoia and Axel. And it looks like they are doing really, really well. So yeah, probably my biggest regret, but I'm happy for them. They are doing well. We got to be happy for their success. I've heard that from many people. Yeah. So fundraising is and should be thought of as a process. How should that work? And what do the best founders do? Yeah, that's a very good point. It is a process and it should be well strategized and run in order to be successful, right? So I would say I advise my founders as soon as I put money into the company to start building a list of investors that either they are reaching inbound or they are getting introductions and they have been in touch with them in the past and maybe the company was too early or for whatever reason they didn't invest, right? And so to start building a database on that and share that list with the current board in such a way that you have all the list of investors, you can tier them in tier one, tier two, and include a couple of comments. And the comments can be as simple as, I had a great connection, but I was too early for them. We need to wait. Or I would love those guys to put money in my company because they have three other companies in the same space. And clearly they know the ecosystem or something like that, anything, right? And you can tier them. It might be other people might consider that investor at tier two, but you consider that investor at tier one just because it is really well suited to help you build a global business, right? So basically start from creating a database and the same way you sell to your customers, you are selling to those investors too, right? The investors should be selling themselves too, but you are selling to them. And because of that, I really think founders should be nurturing those relationships. After Series A specifically, you should take at least 10% of your time as a founder to keep nurturing those relationships. You can't leave them up to the last six months when you go out to the market and start talking to them. I'm not saying the whole list of investors. You select a set of investor, investors that you really would like to have on board and you nurture them. And it can be a very short call. Once in a while, you touch base with them. You send them an email. You tell them what are you doing. When you go to their cities or to their countries, you are able to pop up by their offices or these days that everyone is used to working remotely, then you can absolutely have a conversation online. But starting from that, it is very, very important and keeping them 
updated. And as I said, it should be at least the 10% of the founders. And I think founders, at the end of the day, they should be focusing their time after Series A specifically on one, building the strategy and the vision of the company for the future, two, hiring and looking at the senior hires and people who have been there before, and three, fundraising. I think these are the three priorities for the founders overall. I love the way you just described that. You know, virtually the day I close the Series A, I'm starting to plan for the Series B and beyond. And so the fundraising, it never stops. It does never stop. And in fact, that is interesting because you would talk to investors in the Series A and you might be too early for them or you might still be in Europe and they want you to be in the US if it is a US investor. There are several reasons, right? And those are the ones who you should keep nurturing from day one. It's interesting. It's very similar to the advice we give companies thinking about M&A that says at every fundraising stage, you should be thinking about your universe of potential buyers. You know, it might be three, five, seven years down the line and, and maintaining those relationships. But that's great advice for founders on fundraising as well. Echasso, thank you. It's been a really fascinating conversation, a real education, and I'm sure will deliver a lot of value to a lot of founders who will go on to listen to this. Thank you ever so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to both of you for inviting me. 